0: This morning I'm gonna uh, share a message on discipleship everybody say discipleship but I'm gonna share it from a different angle uh, and the title of today's message is intimacy based discipleship and uh, you know I was thinking about it we've been in about I mean when you go back to the all-in series basically every message was an intimacy message and so we've been on a theme of intimacy for almost you know for the better part of three months and uh i feel like the lord was giving is giving us a real invitation to draw near and it's from this place that i kind of want to i want to call us into a focus of living as disciples of jesus and i know that depending on how long you've been around in the body of christ that word disciple or discipleship it may have a negative connotation in some some quadrants but you know, it's a biblical word, and it's one that we've got to get comfortable with. And even more than that, it's, it's something that we want to be. I want to be a disciple. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. And uh, I think we need to, to get, like, real comfortable with what that, could, what that could be. And in the days ahead, I really feel like we're going to see a, a massive multiplication through simple discipleship. We're, um, we're all kind of tuned to big crowds. Uh, America loves big crowds, and the church in America loves big crowds. I kind of don't think Jesus is as impressed with our big crowds as we are. Yeah, it's going to be that kind of a day today, people. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we're doing today. I, I, don't, I don't know that, I, I think we're pretty impressed with ourselves. I don't know that he's that impressed with us. We're pretty impressed with our big show. I don't know that he's that impressed with our big show. In fact, when you read the first few chapters of the book of Revelation, and he's giving input to the church, multiple of the churches, he says, hey, guys, you've got some big things going on, but I have these issues. And several of them, he says, and if you don't get the issues straight, I'm not really interested in having that church there. And he's not doing that out of like a threat he's just saying you're not emulating who i am you're not multiplying who i am and so when we're thinking about the impact of a spiritual family um, i don't know that the crowd size is the biggest thing i'm not saying that jesus doesn't want to reach masses he absolutely wants to reach as many people uh, as possible he absolutely wants to uh, reach masses but the number of service attenders is probably not his biggest thought Now, I said the number of service attenders is probably not his biggest thought. Now, don't take that and say, well, Billy said we don't have to come to church on Sundays anymore. I am kind of tired from my turkey still, so I'm going to get that online. That's not the point. uh, The Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. There's something that when we come together, we have an experience in God, a corporate experience that you can't get another way. And so I'm, I'm all for being in those corporate moments. But what I'm not for is thinking that if the crowd size grows, that equals we have a ton of disciples. Is that making sense? And so this is where I want to come from today. I want to talk about discipleship, being a disciple, intimacy-based discipleship, wh- what that can look like, what that can look like for us. And I want to ask us some Some, you know, probing questions. Um, It's clear to me that Jesus doesn't just want attenders. He wants disciples, right? And so Matthew 28, Jesus said this. We know this as the Great Commission. It's a really clear imperative. He says, uh, Matthew 28, 18, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The question I have is, well, it's twofold here. When I read this, uh, and I always read the Bible in about five different versions, and then I'll go and get in my, you know, concordance, my lexicon, and my little study AIDS and figure out what the original language was. But the first thing I I, I recognize is he says, go and make disciples of all the nations. He's talking to 11 guys, and he says, I want you to disciple all the nations. That's a huge vision. That's a a massive vision. And, And so I think right there he set a trajectory for the church that he's saying, I want what I've taught you to infiltrate every single nation on the earth. I want it to change the the structures of governments. I want it to change the power structures and and all sorts of spheres of society and finance. But everything that I've given, he goes, I want you guys to teach all the nations to follow what, what I've taught you. Now, that right there is an impossibility for those 11, right? It has to go beyond just those guys right there, which is how we actually got here. We got here because they taught the ones in their lives and in their sphere and where God put them, and they discipled them, and then that second generation... They shared with somebody else, and they discipled them, and then that thing kept going and kept going all the way to modern-day 2022 here in Gwinnett County. That original commission to make disciples has actually landed here on us. It's amazing how this thing worked, because what is impossible for these few, when you, when you see the multiplication of how this thing works, it's actually really, really doable. Now, there's much to be done in the gospel still right now. There's many, many unreached peoples in the earth. And, and, and so I feel like the, the focus of discipleship is something that we really have to take to heart and take seriously. And I fear sometimes that in the West especially, we've got so um, enamored with big gatherings and big attendances, we've kind of lost the power of the small, do you know what I'm saying? And I wanna regain that. I wanna regain that. And so, I'm just gonna take us on a journey. I think Jesus, he lays out a couple foundational imperatives that call us in to what being a disciple is about. And it just depends on how deep we get here. I'm gonna define being a disciple in certain ways. Hopefully that will be a, a, some, some biblical thoughts and maybe new thoughts for you. And then I wanna talk about some, maybe some formats that we're working on to to help aid discipleship. This is just a one-off message that I'm preaching that I think we will revisit next year in more depth, but I just wanted to see the atmosphere with it, okay? So um, all the disciples, Jesus starts the conversation with all of them with two words, follow me. He starts discipleship with follow me. Now, that is a loaded phrase because uh, he was calling all of them ultimately to end up laying down their lives the way he laid down his life. But when you see him and he just casually does a miracle and then tells them to follow him, whether it was Matthew or Peter or James and John, it's interesting that this whole conversation of Jesus' disciples, it starts with just this little invitation to to. Be close to him. Now, most of us have heard that invitation from the Lord, whether it was through preaching, whether it was through, you know, a song. Maybe it was Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. Maybe it was a combination of all that. You've heard a follow me from the Lord. And, and you uh, have likely responded. Maybe you're in here today, you haven't ever responded to the follow me. Well, he's saying follow me today. He's inviting you into that right now. But here's the point I want to make. Follow me is not just salvation. It's not just saying, okay, Jesus, I want to I be saved. I don't want to go to hell. I want to I give you my life. It, follow me is far bigger than just salvation. Salvation is the doorway to an entire life of following Jesus. Amen. And... and it would be really sad if Jesus follow me was, follow me, I'll get you the get out of hell free card, and that's it. It wasn't ever to be that. It was to be follow me your whole life, follow me for the rest of your days. And, and here's what, it, it encourages me, it strengthens me, and it challenges me that 25 or 30 years into my walk with the Lord, I haven't done the math lately, so 34 years in, I'm to be just as much of a passionate follower of Jesus today as I was the first day that the gospel cracked my stony heart. There's, there's, no, there's nothing in the Bible that says we're to start off as like radical participants, and then we sort of just change lanes into sort of passive observers. That's not Christianity. Christianity is people who lay down their life and they follow Jesus, and they follow him all their days. And we don't, we don't take a break from our elder brother Jesus, our dear friend Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus, when the context isn't just right to be close to Jesus. Am I making any sense? And we don't, you know, shift it into neutral because I've sort of been there, done that in my Christianity. Let somebody else do it now. I was passionate, I did all the things. Somebody else can be passionate and do all the things. That's, that's just not why he said, follow me. It's just not, it's just not what relationship with him is about. It's not about shifting it into neutral, you know, after you've given a good 10 years. And so I, I've got this in the notes. And if you haven't got the notes, I just encourage you scan the barcode, get the notes, because there's probably a lot more in here that I'm going to cover. But for me, the definition of radical Christianity is living passionately, for Jesus over the long haul, over decades. You know, like in church, we celebrate testimonies. We love when somebody gets radically saved, delivered. We love it. We will put the testimony up in front. But what I really want to know about is, I want to know about the person that was saved, delivered, got radically on fire for the Lord, and 25 years later, they're still saved, delivered, and radically on fire for the Lord we almost are so enamored with the, the spectacular and the momentary that we don't even care if the testimony is still a testimony in two months. That's not okay, and that's not Jesus because his invitation to followership was lifelong. It was supposed to change the course of the way we live all the days of our life. And it was supposed to be more than I quit seeing R-rated movies, I quit cussing too much, and I didn't cheat on my taxes anymore. It was supposed to be way more than that. And uh, I want to be nice about it. I just think we need to get over this low-bar Western Christianity and recognize that the call of the gospel was far, far more intense than what we've made it in the West. It transcends every part of our lives. We're supposed to look so different. We're supposed to live different. We're not supposed to be like exactly like I was before I got saved, uh, except for I don't cuss as much as much yeah I don't really use the the big bad ones unless the traffic's really bad that's not it man this ain't it What it is, it is my life has been transformed, and I'm not what I used to be anymore, and every day I'm walking with my dearest friend, Jesus, who's God in the flesh, and he loves me so much, it's transformed the way that I think about myself and the way that I think about others, and the whole trajectory of my life has been shifted, and I'm now finding myself walking with him in places that I wouldn't have never found myself before had I just kept going my own way. And he saved me from destruction. He saved me from so many shipwrecks and heart wrecks. And and he's, he's cleaned me up. And it hasn't been easy. It hasn't been perfect. There's been challenges and trials and sufferings on the way. But at the end of all of it, I have him and I have love. And I'm new because of his blood that set me free. That's it, man. And this thing keeps going and going and going. This is my life. And I get out of bed in the morning because he loves me. And I'm on a journey with him. And I've, sometimes I feel like, wow, I've worked really hard to try to be on this journey with him. And you know what? Wow, he doesn't need all my hard work. He just needs my yes. And when we say yes, he takes his places we never thought we would go. I'm... I'll just say this. I just got back from a week of uh, being in Israel. It was fantastic. It's the second time I've been there this year. The Lord paid for both trips. I didn't even ask. And in a week, I'm getting ready to go to to Central Asia to minister to two groups of underground church leaders. Now, two different ones from two different countries that if I said the name, it would be the protocol, the security protocol would be messed up for me to even say that. So I'm going to go to Central Asia and minister to two groups of underground church leaders. Guys, there's not a chance I should be doing this. Only God. Only Jesus. This is where follow me takes you. It's not to say, oh, look at me, look what I get. No, it's just him. Saying yes to him. And he'll take you places you never thought you'd go. You'll do things you never thought you'd be able to do. All right. So when I look at Jesus and I look at follow me, I realize that there are multiple directive imperatives that Jesus gives in the New Testament. I, I counted them up. It's about 50 where he literally says, this is what I want you to do. You know, he'll, he'll say, uh, don't be like the hypocrites and, and let your gifts, you know, do your gifts out in front of everybody. You know, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. There's about 50 imperatives from Jesus in the New Testament. But when I look at it, this is just me. I boil it down. I think we, sh- we, should, do, we should pay attention to all 50 and do all of them. But when I look at all 50, I see, about, I see three that cover the other 47. Does that make sense? And so he starts with follow me. That's an imperative. Follow me. Peter, follow me. Andrew, follow me. James, John, follow me. Matthew, follow me. Nathaniel, follow me. He, and he tells them all, follow me. But when you get into his teaching, you realize there's these three imperatives. So let me just give them to you quickly. I'll read a couple of verses, and then I'll pull out the imperatives. So Matthew 11:28, 28, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I see two imperatives there that I think are, they're, they're like transcendent. They, they cover everything. And uh, so the first one is, come to me. And then the second one is, learn from me. And then the third one I find in John 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So the third one is, love one another. So he says, come to me, learn from me, and love one another. This is what I think are the foundational imperatives. I think they are, this is what he was ultimately saying when he said, follow me. Be close to me, come to me. Be close to me. And he says, learn from me. Look at my lifestyle, look how I live, and live like I live. And then he says, And love one another as I've loved you. So now he's saying, Love as I love. So now, if I can just coalesce that whole thing, I think he's saying, Follow me equals be close to me, live like I live, and love like I love. If you want a simple definition of being a disciple of Jesus, you live close to Jesus, you live like he lived. And you love like he loved. I can just make it real simple. I live close to Jesus. I want to live like he lives. And love like he loved. Like we don't have to. It doesn't have to be complex. So that just means I've got to learn from him. I've got to learn his manner. His way of life. i got to learn what he was like. He was humble. Meek and lowly. He was bold. And strong. He was. Laying himself down for others. Now we're getting into the love like he loved. So I learn his values. I look at the Sermon on the Mount. I learn his values and, and I live his values and I look at his life and I love like he loved. Live like he lived, love like he loved. I'll try to say that. Live like he lived, love like he loved. Do it a little better. Live like he lived, love like he loved. I think that's being a disciple. I live close to him so I can live like he lived and love like he loved. So I would just say this. If that's what being a disciple is, discipleship is the process of growing into that. Growing into living like he lives and loving like he loves. The process of becoming like Jesus and when I think about discipleship, I realize it requires certain things and then it needs some definition. It needs some clarity because I feel like, and I've been in church ministry work for 28 years, I feel like most of the time when I've heard discipleship or even led discipleship programs that it's done that. It's turned into a program with a book or a list of all sorts of things that we got to do so that we can be a disciple, And then discipleship is defined as being a disciplined follower of Jesus. How many has ever heard that one? Disciplined follower of Jesus. Except for I don't see Jesus doing that. I see him saying, hey, come close. Learn from me. Live like I live. You gotta be close enough to him to know how he lives, right? And then he goes, and love like I love. It's way different Discipleship, it can't be something that takes place only in a classroom because it's got to be rooted in being close to Jesus and becoming transformed into Jesus. Now, I can get instruction in a classroom, right? But discipleship has to come from intimacy. Am I making any sense? And so it requires a willingness to be close. Discipleships to be intimate. It requires a willingness to grow and change. Oh, I'm smiling, but y'all aren't. Come on. Everybody say grow and change. This is discipleship. Being conformed to the image of Jesus. I want to grow. And I want to change. You know what I found the biggest challenges with church in the West is that we are so far educated beyond our level of obedience. And we know in our heads a ton of verses, but we don't have the actuality of them in our lives. And so because we know it, even though we don't live it, we think we are it when we're not. And so if I think I'm there and I've arrived, but I haven't really even gotten started, I've just found out what the journey is, if I think I'm there because I know the map, I'm just deceiving myself, right? So I've got to just decide, have I already grown, fully grown? Do I, do I need no change in my life? See, what we do is we delude ourselves because we know about a hundred Bible verses and we think, man, I've got it all down. I'm going to tell you, God is infinite and we're going to be growing in the knowledge of Him forever. There's zero chance that any of us has arrived. You might be 60 years, 80 years in your walk with the Lord. You have not arrived, you're just getting started. And if we've got a long time of being a Christian, the real question, and I, it's just, I'm, I, I'm happy today, so don't take me like I'm being mean, but like the real question is okay, you got 30 years. Do you have 30 years of growth, or do you have one year 30 times? Because one year 30 times isn't 30 years, it's one. You just keep circling the same mountain. How do I know if I'm circling the same mountain? Let me just ask you. Just think about it. Do you have the same tests that keep coming up in your life over and over and over again? See, God isn't the teacher that gives you the test once and puts an F on it and says, you failed, done, done with you. He's so good. He'll give you the same test over again. Hey, I know you failed it last week, but let's just do it again. And then you're putting the same answer on He goes, don't do that. I showed you. I gave you the test. You already have the test and the answer. Don't do the same test and give it the same wrong answer. If you've been doing that for 30 years or 20 years or 10 weeks or whatever, you're having the same experience. You're not growing from glory to glory. You're on the first glory still. Which, glory, it's, in Christ it's Glory. But we got to go from glory to glory to glory to glory. Amen. It requires willingness to grow. Being a disciple. It requires a willingness to say, maybe I haven't arrived yet. A willingness to change. Sometimes it's stretching. Sometimes we've gotten comfortable in habits that are hurting us and God wants to pull us out of them. That's not because he's mad at you, it's because he loves you. I like to say it this way, he loves you so much he won't leave you as you are. Discipleship is intimate. Discipleship's not a book, it's intimate. It's be close, come close, learn from me. And as everything in Christ is intimacy-based, it's all based on him. Jesus, he is our portion, he is our focus, he's our destination. Well, he's the one that is, he conforms us to his image. He is the one that's the compelling agent of change and growth in our lives. Discipleship is about being intimate with him. And it's about being open and vulnerable in heart. And the way that he structures discipleship biblically is he discipled the original 12, lost one. And then the next 11 add one, now 12, are now sharing the gospel and discipling many more. And the generations keep going. Beloved, that's how it's to be with us. We live close to Jesus. And we're following someone who's able to speak into our life with honesty and clarity and courage and accountability. Everybody say accountability. accountability. That's a good one. I like to say this way who in your life can tell you no? Because we love when they say yes. Man, I just feel like I'm supposed to do this thing, man, and just this dream of my heart, man. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And, the, and then the guy over here goes, hey, you know, there's three or four things that I think in your character that might need to develop before you're going to go ahead and take the world over for Jesus. You may want to get this thing down where you're not dropping F-bombs every time you get in bad traffic. Oh, man, you're just, you're just putting that shame stuff on me, man. No, that's That's accountability. And if I love you, I'll actually keep you accountable to who you said you want to be. We're, we're a little bit in this cultural situation right now where people don't like accountability. If you tell them, hey, I don't know if that's the way. Oh, you hate me. I don't hate you. I love you unless I risk telling you truth because I love you. You don't have to do it with, like, bad sauce on it and be mean. You can just speak the truth in love, and guess what? We grow up into the head Christ Jesus. That's the Bible. Am I making sense? So there's got to be an openness, an intimacy, an openness of heart, a a, a willingness to change, to grow. And I don't think that this idea of just disciplined followership, I don't really think that's what Jesus had in mind. I'm not against it. Spiritual disciplines, I'm all for them. In fact, I'm gonna talk about them here in a moment, but I don't think the basis of this is how like how disciplined can you be to be a disciplined follower? I think that's far too impersonal, impersonal for what Jesus was inviting the disciples to, and he said, Follow me. Follow me was close, it was intimate, and it was ultimately transformative. And I don't know about you, well, I do know about you, because I think you wouldn't be here unless you felt the same way I do about this. I, I don't want to have the same year 30 times. I don't want to live unchanged by the gospel. I, I want to see the full power of the gospel manifest in my life. I, I want to love people. I want to love beyond what I ever dreamt is possible. You know what I'm saying? I, I, want, I want to know the word of God so richly that it's causing my heart to be compelled. And I want it to, to, ex, uh, to the experience of that compelling, uh, you know, transformative uh, experience with the, the love and the knowledge of the word of God and the, and the love of God. I want that to change me so that it comes out of me everywhere I go. It needs to impact my family. It needs to impact those that I work with. My friends should feel impacted by the impact that's taking place in me. I think that's what being a disciple of Jesus is about. Which, when I was having these thoughts and praying through all this stuff, I had to just, I had to just come down just to a, a, a moment of inflection. And I think let's just do it all together right now. Are you, and I've been asking myself, am I, am I, and you ask the question yourself, am I a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do I live like he lives? Do I love like he loves? Am I? Is, is that that honorable thing of being a disciple of Jesus is that true of me or do I just like Christian stuff or do I just like big events the Christian songs and the concerts and the conferences or the latest book or am I a follower of Jesus a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and I know we're all on a journey like there's no arrival you can be completely immature in your walk you can be at the very beginning and be a disciple of Jesus but where this thing is supposed to go is a lifelong journey of transformation where you come out looking like he is And loving like he loves. And watch this. John, the disciple, the beloved Apostle John, when he's writing the book of John, by the end of it, he never refers to himself in the book as John. He has a phrase that he uses when he's writing the book of John. You know what it is? The disciple who Jesus loved. Come on. I feel a little something on that. The disciple who Jesus loved. That's the end of discipleship. I live like he lives. I love like he loved. And my identity is the disciple that he loved. See, that's different than a book or a discipleship class. Like, let's use those things. Those are good tools. But coming to this place of my life is so transformed and in the knowledge that I am his disciple, the the most principal thing about it is, I'm the one he loves. That's where discipleship should ultimately take us. So, when I look at it biblically, I just look at how the disciples, how they managed their relationship with the Lord, and they had an interesting starting point, which I think is really important uh, to to draw this out. So their starting point, Jesus says, follow me, and then their first clear question, because that's that's pretty smart, like if you're going to follow Jesus, probably asking questions a lot is a good way to go, that works for us now. You can ask him all the questions in the world, and he's happy to answer. But their first question, teach us to pray. We want to love like you love. We want to live like you live. And we want to talk to the Father like you do. We want to commune with the Father the way that you commune with the Father. And so he, when I think of it, this follow me, this teach us to pray, these are the foundational things and this is when he teaches them the Lord's Prayer and he says it's a father who is in heaven who is holy and he gets them on that journey of intimacy with the father and by the time he's telling them John 17 John 13 to 17 he's saying the father loves you just the way he loves me and this becomes their destination in discipleship so he brings them to his values his manner of life and his communion with the father and so just to say it again discipleship should be intimacy based it should not be rules based it's it's uh the manner of life discipleship is the manner of life that we follow as a result of saying yes to jesus it's embracing his lifestyle as our own and so what we do, one of the things we do at Gate City, and we're going to get more, we're going to get more intentional and more, more focused about multiplying disciples and multiplying discipleship. But one of the center pieces that we do is we have set up night and day worship and prayer at the center of our spiritual family. It is the spiritual formation hub for our entire spiritual family, and so our corporate devotion to the Lord ends up being the the if you want to Dustin calls it the warp core is that a Star Trek thing? All the trekkies are like, yes <laughs> whatever <laughs> or the furnace or the soil of our discipleship environment now it's not the only thing we have house churches we have teaching and training and classes and and so we're gonna be developing more along these lines but the centerpiece is the prayer room and in 28 years of ministry I'm, I'm just gonna tell it to you straight I've led multiple discipleship efforts classes schools internships having a prayer room it's not the way that people get discipled, but it's the best tool I've ever seen for discipleship. When we go, when we go ahead and we, we push away all the other attractions and we set our cold heart before the Lord, maybe even it's, it's even awkward and challenging, and we just sit in here and go, Jesus, I need you like I need air. So here I am. I'm going to show up on Monday when it's not a church service time, I'm going to sit in that room with somebody singing love songs to you, because I need you like I need the blood in my veins. So transform me. So we've said that at the center of our spiritual family because it is the centerpiece of spiritual formation. And, and so it, there's many other things that we need to, to develop and add. Uh, but uh, when I think of the, the environment of night and day prayer at the center um, it's, it's the most powerful tool for life transformation that I've ever seen. And so um, I'll, just, I'll just give you this. I'll just seed this, and then we'll have an altar call. I feel, am I past the altar call moment? <laughs> Do you wish I already did it? <laughs> Dude, get done. Give the altar call. I've been in that service. I want to introduce the term, and then we'll be done. This term is called rule of life, rule of life. It's not rules of life, it's rule of life in the sense of manner of life or lifestyle. How many has ever heard that before I just said it, rule of life? A handful. So the rule of life is something that became um, critically important and popular in the fourth and fifth centuries, and I'll just give you a little bit of church history so you get what this is. So when the church gets embraced by Emperor Constantine in Rome, which is the 4th century, the middle of the 300s, what happens is the purity of the church gets basically spoiled, and here's why. The church went from being a persecuted people to being embraced by the largest empire on the planet. So overnight, if you wanted to be a power broker in society, you wanted a job in the church. And so when you get cardinals and you get all these different levels in the church in Rome, I'm talking about historically, many of them had no actual legitimate relationship with the Lord. They were just in wealthy families and they were now... They were basically now ruling. The ruling class was living in the church. So when many of the authentic believers saw this and and the preachers of the day saw this, that the church was getting corrupted instead of standing against the corruption of the, the government or the society, but the church was now embracing it, so many of the leaders, what do they do? They get out of there and they start things called monasteries. And so in the monastic movements, If it wasn't for, you know, a lot of people kind of think negatively on monasteries or whatever, but if it wasn't for the monastic movements of the 4th, 5th, and 6th centuries in Europe, Christianity probably gets completely snuffed out. And it's through the monastic movement in Europe that the gospel goes forth continuously across all of Europe. and, And what you find is, they were coming out of this polluted situation with the church in Rome, and so they were basically saying, how do we live? How do we, do we function? And so these different monastic leaders came up with this idea of rule of life. And the most famous one was Benedict, Benedictine rule. And literally thousands upon thousands of people would embrace Benedict's rule of life. If we rolled out Benedict's rule of life now, everybody would freak out because it's the most intense. I mean, it's like the most intense ninja, green beret, Christian training there is. Don't worry, we're not going to do that one. Peter Scazzaro says this, a rule of life is an intentional conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. I'll say it again, it's an intentional conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. The starting point and foundation of any rule is the desire to be with God and to love Him. A desire to be with God, come to me, and to love Him. Live like I live, love like I love. And so we're going to, we're working on it. We're working on it. We're going to roll that out sometime next year. A rule of life. And isn't like, you can't be a member unless you do the rule of life. Let me see your rule of life. Did you keep your, ch-? it's not that. It's commitments that we make so that we can walk out what it means to live like you live and love like you love. It's, the, it's, it's a simple and easy handle for us who want to be disciples to just be able to walk it out, and you can, you can uh, adapt it to your own personal walk, and just in different areas, relationships, rest, devotion, work, and you just give yourself commitments in those areas that say, okay, this is how I'm going to live. The thing I like about a rule of life is it's not goals, it's commitments. Now, come on. Y'all were at me a minute ago. Ah, disciples, we're going to be disciples. Okay, rule of life. Ooh. We're a monastery now. No. (laughs) But there's things in church history that the church... See, what happened here? Track this. When the church got corrupted, the leader said, how do we teach people to live outside of the corruption? They gave them a rule of life. When the society was filled with filth, the, the church... It continued by following a rule of life. Beloved, today's context is not dissimilar from the context in the 4th and 5th centuries. And I really feel like it's something the Lord might give us just to help us to walk out this thing of being disciples. Amen. Amen. Well, let's do this. Let's stand. Let's get the worship team to come.